welcome to Fox Mandal podcast. We're excited to have you join us on this journey into the world of business and law. In each episode we bring you engaging conversations with influential leaders from diverse fields. The intent is to explore their fascinating journeys and insights to inspire and educate our listeners on the law and its various facets. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the second part of our conversation on the Indian startup ecosystem. Let's continue the discussion. Then you had a Bangalore chapter and then you set up a Delhi chapter. And these used to be separate before COVID. But yeah. COVID had changed the entire uh, kind of, you know, the structure. Yeah. So, want to understand how this COVID um, has impacted this um, investment ecosystem. And, and we have seen it, uh, you know, through uh, uh, Keretsu and various other forums, uh, of, uh, stream of investments and people are investing more in startups. And there are uh, good startups, either we are getting good startups or probably uh, there are more good startups now. And those not so good startups have probably uh, faded away. So what is your take on that? How this COVID, um, you know, has changed Keretsu Forum for you and also for the angel investors and for, for the startup as well? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the whole pandemic years have really changed in many different ways. The, the simplest way is it has brought a lot of convenience. You have virtual meetings now um, and therefore you don't have to spend half a day to go for a meeting and come back uh, in a city like Bangalore. It's a commute which takes the time. It's not always a meeting itself. Uh, that's one. But number two, more importantly, I think, you know, again, going back to my earlier point, uh, prior to COVID, we used to have physical meetings in Bangalore and in Delhi. Uh, and, and the Bangalore set of investors used to analyze the deal uh, separately from the Delhi investors because it was never together. Uh, but with COVID, what happened was we moved to virtual meetings and uh, the deal uh, diligence started happening together. And that really made a huge difference. You know, like I was saying earlier, you know, you have people with money, people with uh, the appetite for risk and people with understanding of the technology all coming together. Became a very rich mix of, uh, of exchange of ideas and that um, uh, led to a lot more investments happening. The other advantage for not just Keritsu, but even for other networks, I think, is the moment we became virtual, uh, our geographical boundaries of where we could get investors also faded away. Uh, earlier, you know, a Bangalore member would look at attending a meeting every month in Bangalore, and if somebody were not in Bangalore, even in Mysore, having to come to Bangalore, each one was a big ask. Um, so was the case with uh, Delhi. But with virtual meetings, we started seeing members from other cities, second-year cities in um, India, for example. We do have uh, a lot of members from Mysore, a lot of members from Pune, for example, Hyderabad, um, some from Calcutta, many other cities, Indore, uh, Chandigarh, uh, Jaipur. We started getting outside India, and and we started getting quite a few uh, people from outside India, particularly the Middle East, where there are a lot of Indians who have interest in Indian companies. Uh, we started getting uh, people from the U.S. again, people of Indian origin mostly. But uh, you would be surprised. I mean, uh, you know, a couple of our members are not even Indian origin people. They are people living in the in the Middle East, uh, Middle Eastern nationals wanting to look at uh, companies in India and so on. Uh, so it it really opened up our space in terms of who we could attract as uh, investors. Uh, and that's really helped um, companies uh, raise money because uh, obviously there is... Uh, 
much broader interest and, and in terms of connections for them also, you know, when you have investors from all around the country or all around the world, it's a huge network of people that founders can go to uh, when it comes to running their companies. And, and uh, I specifically want to mention there was one particular company which had raised multiple rounds from Geritsu. Uh, and from within Geritsu and outside, they had a total of about 200 plus people on their cap table as investors. Uh, and the founder was asked, how do you manage so many investors? It's a huge crowd, right, of investors. And investors, uh, the understanding is that inherently they are demanding. So the, the answer he gave was very, very interesting and insightful. He said, if you think of your investors as a problem to manage, having 200 people is a big problem. But if you think of them as an asset, as a resource to go back to each time you have a problem, then you have 200 different lines to go back to and, and at no point have I been devoid of a solution. I didn't have to solve every problem myself. So I suppose that's the way founders will have to see it and, and, and therefore when you have investors from different parts of the country, different parts of the world, it's a huge asset for companies beyond just the money they're bringing in terms of connections, in terms of market access, in terms of technology, in terms of just ideation. We also saw uh, the other um, companies, companies from outside India, they started pitching uh, to, to our, uh, you know, Bangalore or your daily cha cha I know, our chapter members. Earlier we saw there was interest and there was ease of investing, um, you know, uh, outside India, those cross-border, uh, you know, overseas investment. And LSR was one of the, you know, route where uh, they, could, they could use and invest up to certain, you know, amount. Considering the recent ODI rules, which has put some uh, restriction, do you think the overseas investment uh, has slowed down and is ultimately I think it has, particularly when it comes to small ticket angel investment. Uh, uh, from my limited understanding, the way RBI now defines it is uh, that if it is an unlisted company, it is uh, direct investment, not portfolio investment. And therefore, while you can still do it under Ilavas, uh, I think it's become a lot more tough in terms of compliance. And for someone who is investing uh, $10,000, $20,000, uh, it's not really worth the trouble. This is one aspect, you know, the compliance and, uh, and the reluctance to go through that. Uh, and then, of course, on top of that, now there is also a TCS, CCS money which is going out. While you still get it back, uh, to invest um, $100,000, you have to think of just another compliance, another compliance. But I think the other aspect of that is uh, people are also realizing that many of the opportunities in India are way more attractive, both in terms of the size of the market they can address here and also in terms of, uh, you know, the valuations. Uh, and Indian valuation still comparatively is, is way cheaper to what any early stage company in the U.S. would want to. Uh, so you, you are beginning to uh, get better deals here. Um, the third aspect is when you invest into overseas companies, and we've experienced it. Um, while technically it's possible you can invest, it's very difficult to keep track of what they're doing um, and and where companies are. Whereas when it comes to Indian companies, even in cases where they fail, I, I think as investors, we have a fairly clear understanding of what went wrong, uh, which often is not the case when a company fails in the U.S. You know, I mean, it's, it's very opaque. Uh, so all of these reasons have contributed to, I think, the interest in overseas deals going down. So today, unless someone is looking at investing 
a very large amount of money. It's not worth going through the compliance and and the hassle of that. Um, and and two, um, it's been more than compensated by good quality companies in India, many of which are are still looking at the U.S. as a market opportunity. So you need not necessarily look at a U.S.-based company. We have seen in the last uh, you know ten years or so. Government has come out with a lot of initiatives and programs for startups. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, those startups are getting benefited out of those, uh, you know, the initiatives and, um, you know, the, the programs. But uh, a lot of investors don't believe that the same is happening for the investors. There are a lot of the taxes and uh, scrutiny and the restrictions. What is your take on that, whether the government is doing enough for the angel investor fraternity or is there anything else you think uh, you know they should be doing really more that's a difficult question to answer and um, even before coming into incentives for investors i want to also touch on the other part i mean incentives for startups uh, you're right there is a lot happening both from the government side and and from other agencies and my sense is a lot of that money is going waste while there is there is such a hue and cry for support to startups and so on. You know, this is my personal take uh, and I know it is controversial. I feel, you know, being an entrepreneur is not somebody's birthright and it is not for everyone. Uh, we are trying to say, let's make everybody an entrepreneur. It, it's not going to happen. And, uh, and that is why some people are cut out for a regular job. Some people are cut out for entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship is a very tough thing to do. Uh, it's a very lonely journey. Uh, you have uncertainty throughout. Uh, and that's the reason why everybody is not an entrepreneur. And, and you're trying to make everyone an entrepreneur or, or make a level playing field. It's an optimum. I mean, there's no such thing as a level playing field. I mean, if it is a level playing field, everybody tries and, and you know, it's a lot of money wasted. And I know this for sure uh, with uh, a lot of the government funding which is coming through various uh, in schemes uh, and many of these entities for managing that money you know 20 million 25 million they get you know a fairly large sum uh, you know as much as 10 percent uh, which is why they are all getting into it. but this is government money coming and i don't think anybody really has a skin in the game in making sure that this money goes to real companies so then they, they will take a shortcut, okay, you know, let's piggyback on some fund which is investing, let's piggyback on some angel investor or network which is investing, um, and, and we will also invest. And, and they are at least frank enough to, to accept that we don't have the expertise to invest, but we have some money from the government, we have to somehow deploy it somewhere. Uh, so let's collaborate. But then this whole process, I think, is, uh, is misguided. My, in my view, what the government has to do is, in terms of um, regulation, compliance, make it easy for companies. Don't support them too much with money because at the end of the day, you know, when you give free food, free money, it has no value. Whereas when you have to earn your money uh, through your product, that is when really, you know, the, the differentiated founders come out and, and become successful. Uh, I, I mean, there is one store, there was a national... Um, shooting jump in Navin. and there was an interview with his coach I remember reading that and he was asked uh, what did you see in that particular boy as opposed to many others who went from uh, you know that team and his uh, 
Institute. And he was saying, um, you know, I was watching these these uh, candidates pretty much in a tin shed kind of thing. That's where they were practicing shooting. And and you know, in in Rajasthan, somewhere how hot a tin shed can get, right? I mean, it's impossible to be in that. And he was saying this was the only boy, despite that, who would come still in the the middle of the day and practice in that. All others, you know, and it became summer and they wanted to take it easy. And and entrepreneurship is is very much like that. It's not meant for everybody. Uh, those who want to take the easy route, this is not the thing for them. And now, and if you try to make it easy for them, all you're trying to do is invite a lot of unfit people into entrepreneurship, give them some money, they'll finish that money, and then they'll go back to their jobs. I mean, there is some benefit in somebody trying to do something uh, there. I mean, and these days, companies are also willing to take uh, hire people who tried something. But beyond that, I don't see much value in that. On the other hand, I think if the government can make it, um, you know, easy in terms of, um, you know, ease of doing business, compliance, and so on. So, for example, uh, we've all been reading now, founders have been asked to provide uh, income tax return certificates of investors. Now, this is going the extreme. This is the job of the income tax department. If you feel somebody is evading tax, it's your job to, you know, catch those people. Don't pass it on to a startup founder. Those kind of things I think you should get rid of. And when you do that, if you do that, um, you're also helping investors because, you know, if you get into, uh, you know, that kind of scrutiny, it will scare away investors. So those are the kind of things I think the government should do to make it easy for investors. Uh, and I, I very strongly feel this whole idea of taking taxpayers' money and giving it to, to startups through whatever schemes you've got it is the wrong thing to do. Oh, fair point. Last two two questions. One is that, um, what is the future of Karetsu uh, Forum here in, in India? What plans do you have for uh, Bangalore, Delhi, any other chapter you're setting up and uh, how do you see Karetsu uh, you know, moving forward? Um, no other chapters immediately because I think the whole concept of a chapter also has become irrelevant post-COVID. Today, even with these four chapters, you can have members from anywhere in the country, and we are seeing that. I mean, we are seeing a lot of interest from other parts of the countries, and nothing is stopping them from becoming a part of Kiritsu because there is no chapter in, in X city. So you are centralizing. Um, and I think that's for good because uh, it's not only centralizing operations, it's also centralizing the swarm intelligence. Uh, so think of a situation where somebody in Calcutta could only be uh, you know, interacting with people in Calcutta uh, and, and getting the benefit of that. Now you are able to interact with people in, in Delhi, in Mumbai, in Chennai, Bangalore and, and get that collective uh, wisdom when it comes to dealing with the startup. Uh, and more importantly, you know, one thing I keep saying and most people, most investors are also recognizing now is that finding a good company and investing is only the beginning of the journey. That is not the end of the journey. The end of the journey is when you get an exit and get some money out of it. And and from the investment to the exit, uh, it is how well you can engage with the company, help the founder to succeed, grow, and provide you that exit. That is what is important. And therefore, it's not only about where you invest in, uh, at what valuation invest in. It is also about increasingly about who you invest with. Uh, and and that becomes much more relevant if you have an opportunity to centralize intelligence, right? I mean, uh, when you are 
investing with the best people from around the country or sometimes even best people from around the world that is really when you get the good you know the real benefit of being part of a of a community like this otherwise you could well be doing it on your own anyway you're not worried about who else is investing and and that is also i think uh, in closing i should say that is also the big difference between kiritsu and some other newer networks that have come in um today there are a number of platforms out there which give you uh, dozens of deals every week if you want i mean there are uh, calls every week and so on so that model is very similar to your buying uh, something on amazon or uh, you want choice, which they give you. You want the best price, which they give you. And you don't care who else is buying. I mean, whoever else is buying, it doesn't matter to me. Whereas when you, you know, uh, want to do something with a So if you become a part of a club, it's not like that. It's not about only the, the price of the club, you know, membership that you pay. It's also about who else is a member of that club, right? So we, like our founder is very fond of saying, when you go and sit there, you look left and right and, and see who else is sitting there and, and you you also uh, want to tell yourself this is a community I'm proud of being a part uh, That's what we are building in Kiritsu. So, and there is a saying in uh, our biking community, if you want to go fast, ride solo. And if you want to go far, ride with the group. Absolutely. You said it. So last question and this question has two parts to it. Um, one is that, um, of course, Considering your uh, experience, you have seen um, hundreds of startups so closely and worked with uh, hundreds of uh, investors so closely and also uh, not only in India, the worldwide. Uh, one advice for the um, investors, angel investors, what they should look for. Of course, there is no that formula, but at least I know a couple of points what they should look for before uh, investing in a startup. And at the same time, for the startups, uh, how they should pitch to get the funding? Uh, to think that I can give advice, I think will be quite foolish. Uh, you know, it's a constant learning, and I think that is what I would say even for investors. I mean, while everyone uh, of our members is a, is a very accomplished individual, the one binding factor uh, bringing them to Keritsu and, and keeping them together here is their uh their uh willingness to still learn despite all the expertise they bring to the room because when you look at a founder uh, it's a very different learning when you um you know meet many of the other people it's again learning so i think you know for investors yes uh, if you continue to believe that there are new things you can discover and there are new ways in which you can invest i think that is the only thing that will work uh, because if somebody has really figured it out, obviously they don't need Keritsu in the first place. Uh, but I don't think any any other network will fit them, and and it's very difficult to invest like that. So now, as you're open to the idea of learning along with others uh, from different people, different opportunities, I think uh, you know investing will still remain fun. Uh, for founders, um, when it comes to pitching. Um, a lot of the time, what I've seen is founders want to kind of give their entire story, and it's a very long story. It's very, very obvious because, you know, you've gone through the iterations of starting a company. But when it comes to pitching to investors, uh, first of all, founders will, will need to realize that every pitch is different. When you're pitching to sell uh, your product, it is a different pitch. 
when you're pitching to hire a candidate to your uh, your company, again, it's a very different pitch because as a founder, you can't pay like uh, an MNC. So you have to convince somebody to come in maybe at a lower salary and you're excited. Similarly, when you are pitching to an investor, it's a different pitch. I mean, he is not only worried about your product and the features. I mean, products and uh, features are important. But investors want to know how it will make money. So that is a different pitch. Uh, so I think uh, when it comes to pitching for funding, founders will need to to appreciate that that is a very different pitch from a pitch to sell your uh, product or hire a, um, a staff or, uh, you know, or go for a technology and so on. Um, and secondly, with so many founders and startups out there, investors uh, have less and less time and patience. So you, you go to have a, a story in 10 minutes at the most. Uh, and in that 10 minutes, if you are able to excite somebody, then you get more time. Uh, but don't go with the idea that I can take all the time I need and let me um, let me deliver it, everything I have and let the investor choose. And this is an approach which I've seen very common among founders. Let me tell you everything that I have and you pick what you want. Now, the trouble with that is you tell me everything and I pick the wrong thing. I don't pick the things you expect me to pick. Uh, so if you want me to be excited about some things in your business, you better pick those things and come and tell me only that. Don't tell me 100 different things and have one thing which I should pick. Because I, I will, 99 percent I'll be picking the wrong thing, not what you want me to pick. Uh, and this is, I think, very common among founders, you know, when they go through the pitch, they want to tell you the entire story, which is fine. But in the entire story, you also want to make sure that it is that part of the story you want me to pick and get excited about. And if I don't do that, I may pick just the opposite of what you want me to pick and then you lose your uh, opportunity. So I think that's the only uh, only suggestion. I wouldn't call it an advice that I have for uh, founders. These are so interesting uh, tips. And I'm sure these uh, startups, uh, you know, they, they miss out a lot of times. And as you rightly said, you know, they want to uh, give you everything, serve every, every, you know, everything to everyone. And that is, and very often it is also their laziness to, to work, right? I mean, and, and do that job. Uh, so, for example, when we, you know, screen companies, we tell them you come with a 10-minute speech. Uh, now, when you ask somebody to, to compress a one-hour pitch to 10 minutes, you're also telling them to think about what is it that you're really doing. Uh, you know, you, you have so many examples of founders coming and saying, we are not that, we are not this, we are not that. But what are you? They don't know, right? Or tell me in one sentence, what is it that you do? They can't do that. Uh, a lot of them, uh, there are very smart founders who can do a very good pitch. I'm not saying, but a lot of people can't in one sentence say, what is it that they're doing? And when we force them to say in one sentence what they are doing, it is also bringing a lot of clarity to their own thought process. Uh, and and I've, I've got so much of feedback from founders after having gone through, you know, that process that, you know, this is not clarity to what we want to say. And when you have clarity in your mind as to what you are doing, it also brings clarity to the way you do it. It's not only about pitching, right? You, you can't let be all over the place. You know, this is what I'm doing and this is how I want to do it. Or this is where I'm going and this is how I want to get. So some, somewhere I read that uh, in our um, Bollywood industry, there was a one big personality. He mentioned that if you can't tell your story in four lines, that means there is no story. Absolutely. Yeah, if you don't have a story in four lines or 10 minutes at least, you don't have a story. You don't have a story. 
Well, um, as we wrap up today's episode, a big thank you to our guest, Jenny Kurian, for sharing uh, his valuable perspective on his startup funding and so many other um, topics. We hope you found this conversation as enlightening as we did. Wishing you success on your entrepreneurial journey. Thank you and goodbye. Thank you. Thank you, Santor. It was a pleasure. Thank you for joining us today. You can reach out to us through our website, www.foxmandal.in or drop an email at podcast at foxmandal.in. Until next time, stay curious, keep learning and make a positive impact to your endeavors. Goodbye.